about knowledge. Knowledge. I want to begin by uh, saying uh, on my own a thank you to a great house of knowledge across town, Whitman College. Uh, we're delighted each year when you join us for worship and bring such beautiful sounds to our midst. Thank you so much. And thank you for many hours of study in your library that I enjoy free of charge. Without a dime of tuition, I enjoy that place very much. So thank you very much. In fact, as we start thinking about knowledge today, um, uh, Whitman College and Walla Walla University actually are related in an important way. In fact, here's a picture of our of a father that might link us, Nelson Blaylock. Do you know the name? A physician uh, buried uh, here in Walla Walla. In fact, uh, has a, a house on Marcus Street, just on the border of uh, your campus. Uh, delivered over 5,000 babies, twice a mayor of this town, an entrepreneur, an innovator, a man of agriculture, uh, ran for governor of this state, in fact, was a member of the Constitutional Convention of the great state of Washington. An amazing figure. He was for 40 years on the board of trustees of Whitman College. 40 years. Donated land to your institution. Uh, very involved in the early formation of Whitman. But also donated land uh, to this institution. Thought that the valley should be a place of higher education and in fact was a part of the inaugural ceremonies of this school, Walla Walla College, over 100 years ago. Uh, so we have this, this neat connection through the bearded one, uh, Dr. Blaylock. You know what I think Dr. Blaylock would love if he were alive today? A smartphone. Yeah. Any smartphones out there? Come on, put them in the palm of your hand, lift them up high above your head, smartphones. Um, and this would be a good time for the deacons to come forward and take up a second <laughs> offering. Uh, that could be fruitful for us. Uh, think of the age that we live in in terms of knowledge. In the palm of your hand, human innovation, the capacity to know things about history and entertainment, science medicine, the access we have to the great library of the world right here. What a time that we live in. The explosion of human knowledge. How exciting. But you might be wondering, isn't it uh, inappropriate, even risky, for a pastor inside of a church to be celebrating the advancement of human knowledge? In fact, isn't this a little bit dangerous? I mean, at, like if I were to put on a New England Patriots jersey and prance down downtown Seattle this weekend, I mean, would that seem a bit risky or out of place? Um, perhaps. I think this bumper sticker, which I've showed some of you before, illustrates where we are. It reads, uh, don't pray in my school and I won't think in your church. Interesting. Don't pray in my school and I won't think in your church. A bit of a divorce between intellectual pursuit over here and God on this side. Spiritual things ought not be involved with the advancement of human knowledge and serious human knowledge and its increases. Really, well, that has nothing to do with the spiritual realm. There's been a bit of a divorce. But I don't think this separation is good or wise. Notice the biblical book of Proverbs. 
The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. Or this uh, from the Irish poet Evangeline uh, Patterson. I was brought up in a Christian movement where because God had to be given preeminence, nothing else was allowed to be important. I have broken through to the position that because God exists, everything else has significance. God and the pursuit of knowledge ought to go together. So we live in this exciting age, don't we? Incredible human innovation and advancement in what we know. I think the challenge for us, though, as we think about knowledge, is not the content of all that knowledge, but rather how do we make sense of it? How do we put all the pieces together? I think a recent New Yorker cartoon sums up our predicament well. Here it is. You see two men on an island somewhere on earth uh, who have not been touched, these cavemen, by modernity. They look at an airplane overhead and the caption from these two men, they have the know-how, but do they have the know-why? They have the know-how, but do they have the know-why? Loads of knowledge in our time. But how do we put it all together? How do we synthesize it? In fact, what is the meaning of anything that we might think or discover? This is the question about knowledge that we face. So where would we turn as we consider the whole of human history? What place would be appropriate to begin this inquiry of why? H.G. Wells, the esteemed British writer was once asked, which person left the most permanent impression on history? His reply, by this test, Jesus stands first. I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. No man can write a history of the human race without giving Jesus first and foremost place. Interesting. Or this from Kenneth Scott LaTourette, former president of the American Historical Society and professor of history at Yale. It is evidence of his, Jesus' importance of the effect that he has had upon history and presumably of the baffling mystery of his being that no other life ever lived on this planet has evoked so huge a volume of literature among so many people and languages and that far from ebbing, the flood continues to mount. As the centuries pass by, he writes, the evidence is accumulating that measured by its effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. Or another one, Will Durant, agnostic. The legendary historian of world history wrote volumes about the history of the world. He was asked, what is the apex of history? His response, the three years that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. 
the whole of human history, those three years, the apex. Some other voices, Gandhi, my interpretation, in other words, is that in Jesus' own life is the key of his nearness to God that he expressed as no other could the spirit and will of God. It is in this sense that I see him and recognize him as the Son of God because the life of Jesus has the significance and the transcendency to which I have alluded. I believe that he, Jesus, belongs not solely to Christianity, but to the entire world. Reza Aslan, recently converted uh, to the Islamic religion from Christianity, has written a recent book about Jesus. Commenting on the book, he writes, I pray as a Muslim, along with my Christian wife, and together we teach our children the values I believe Jesus represents. The man who defied the will of the most powerful empire the world has ever known and lost is so much more real to me than the Jesus I knew as a Christian. So in a way, this book is my attempt to spread the good news of Jesus the man with the same passion that I once applied to spreading the good news of Jesus the Christ. Interesting. He can't seem to just leave Jesus fully behind. A couple more, Albert Einstein. As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling that actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such light. You may not be aware that there's a growing movement called Atheists for Jesus. Atheists for Jesus. Who do not believe in God, but yet are captured by Jesus of Nazareth. Richard Dawkins, in a recent interview... Uh, responded, I wrote an article called Atheist for Jesus. The point was that Jesus was a great moral teacher, and I was suggesting that somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today. <laughs> Interesting, though, isn't it? Even atheists, something about Jesus. A final quotation from the great Napoleon. I know men, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. The question is not know how, but know why. And it seems from sources, from a variety of perspectives, Jesus, the apex of history, something about the historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, that captures the attention. Now, how might we think about this uh, this morning for a moment? I am not good with my hands, okay? Not good with my hands. Um, real men... Don't cry. Thank you, Mateo, for that. But I understand that real men, they love to pop the hood on the car and have a bit of a worship service for what's inside, you know? 
It, it looks like just a bunch of spaghetti in, in metallic form in there to me. I'm, if I have to pop the hood on my car, all it means is it's a bad day. You know, it's expensive. I don't understand it. Um, when, when people tell the uh, how many blanks does it take to change a light bulb jokes, you know these? I don't like those jokes because the premise stresses me out. I mean, there's a light bulb that needs to be changed. And I'm thinking, you know, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. I mean, how does that all happen? But, but, but I have figured this out. When something breaks in our house, like, say, the vacuum cleaner, there is one question that should be asked before doing anything else. One question. Which is, is it plugged into the wall? Right? Before I'm going to take apart all these plastic whatchamadoos, and not be able to put them back together, the first question I always asked, is the machine plugged into the wall? And I think this is a bit how we must think about the historical figure Jesus of Nazareth. We can explore all kinds of other things, and rightfully so. But the primary question, the first query, is the cord plugged into the wall? What about this figure, Jesus of Nazareth. This is central. And so it leaves us with a final question this morning. Why on earth is Jesus so significant? Why from all of these perspectives, from theists and atheists and world religions, all kinds of people, including well-respected historians, why is Jesus such a big deal 2,000 years later? The British historian N.T. Wright tells this story. There was a king who instructed his army. He got his archers and he said to them, I would like you to fire away and take down the sun. All day long, these, these guys are trying to fire arrows up in the air, trying to hit the sun, but they are not successful. Various techniques and technologies, nothing will work. That night, they're exhausted and stressed out. They gather together, trying to figure out what they, what they can do. Uh, next day, same result. Trying to fire arrows up at the sun to, to bring it down. But nothing is successful. Day three uh, uh, arises, and the king is muttering dark threats. At noon, the littlest archer of them all approaches the king, who's sitting in his garden in front of a pond. The little archer notices that a perfect reflection of the sun is right there in the pond. And he takes out his bow and arrow, and he fires the arrow into the water, into the face, into the heart of the sun, and shatters it into a thousand glistening pieces. He has reached the sun. Right comments. All the arrows of history cannot reach God. And yet, and yet deep within both Jewish and Christian tradition, there lies a rumor that an image, a reflection of the one true God has appeared within the gravitational field of history. You know, I think that we in our day overuse the term historic. 
everything has become historic. A historic snowstorm. A historic presidential election. A historic football game. Everything is historic. But when Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's historic. When we read as historians about the development of a Christian movement in the first century, comprised almost entirely of Jews, monotheists who would never think of worshiping anything but the God beyond, and we discover that they have expressions of worship for this historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, based on a conviction expressed by one of those early Christians this way, he, Jesus, is the perfect image of the invisible God. They had come to the conclusion that all human inquiry firing up arrows trying to discover who God is, the big why question of it all, that through all the years of failing, now at last one has come near, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who perfectly shows us who God is. Now we can fire our arrows at close range. God has come near. Historic. This is why we talk of Jesus all of these years later. Hear me, my friends. Jesus is not a big deal because he was nice to some people that others were not normally nice to. Jesus is not a big deal because he said some fairly wise things. There have been plenty of characters in history that have said wise things and that have been generally nice to people along the way. This is not the reason we know Jesus. Let's think about it this way for a second. I want you to imagine that there is a group of men in the state of North Carolina. That is my home state. It is the 1860s, and this group of men decides they are going to start a club, a bit of a religion. They will call themselves the Lincolnites. The Lincolnites. They love Abraham Lincoln. Now, this is in the American South in the 1860s. Lincoln, 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 man. They're telling everybody about how pumped they are about Abraham Lincoln. And you ask them why, and they say, oh, well, it's obvious, isn't it? First of all, it's Lincoln's beard. He has that wonderful, we love the way he cuts that beard, no mustache. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, man, we are into Lincoln's beard, and all the men uh, develop the same um, habit of that beard. And the other thing is, Lincoln's a reader. Man, he reads late at night to candlelight. We think that's him. That's why we're fired up about Lincoln. His beard and he reads. Lincoln, Lincoln. And other people in the North Carolinian community, uh, community come and say, uh, you understand Lincoln is going to war against our people. He's against everything we stand for. Yeah, we don't care about all that. We're pumped about the beard and the reading. Or imagine that a father takes his children to Washington, D.C. Contemporary, 21st century. 
as many of you have done, as I have done with my children, and you walk up to that magnificent temple, Abraham Lincoln's memorial, and there he sits in all of his glory. And the kids say, Dad, what's the big deal with Abraham Lincoln? Why this temple? And I say to them, well, kids, isn't it obvious? Look at that beard. It's about the beard. I mean, it's amazing. And by the way, kids, he was a reader. He loved books. That's why we were here. Well, I imagine someone would look at me funny and say, no. 170 years later, the reason is that Lincoln was a president of the United States who kept the union together and did certain things that moved towards racial and social justice that continue until this day. That's why he's a big deal. Imagine if I were tur to turn back to that critic and go, <laughs> kids, no, no, no. It's the beard and the reading. It's absurd. We live in a day and age where everybody loves Jesus. Jesus is a great word. The atheists love Jesus. All the world religions love Jesus. All kinds of different Christians love Jesus. And um, Jesus is great. But why is Jesus such a big deal 2,000 years later? Let me say again, it is not because of the beard and literacy. Jesus is not a big deal because he was generally nice and had wise things to say. The reason Jesus is the very apex of history, the reason that anybody is paying attention to him, is because he made an historic claim. If you have seen me, you have seen God. And the early Jewish community, many of them, rallied around this focal point of worship. It was extraordinary. So let me recap. We live in an age of incredible knowledge. It's exciting. And the church should not be afraid every time we learn something new. The word new is in fact not a four-letter word. The church should embrace discovery. But what we really face is not know-how, but know-why. The meaning of it all which it seems must begin with the historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who is a big deal because of his incredible claim to be the very reflection of God. And so here is our challenge. Whether you are inside the church or out, whether you are a, quote, believer or not, to be a serious person of intellect, I submit to you, begins with firing arrows into the very life of Jesus Christ, God now at close range, figuring out his parables, his teachings, his healings, his interactions, his death on a cross, and his resurrection on the third day. To be a serious intellectual and to be a serious person of faith is to pour oneself continually and afresh into the person of Jesus Christ, who is, I believe, the cornerstone of all knowledge.